welcome to the GMC podcast, a place where you can find sermons and other highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. The podcast brings you the final series of teaching from St. Paul's letter to the Roman Church as we look through the text of chapters 12 through 16. We will be challenged to understand what a church shaped by grace should look like for us all today. Previous series in Romans have looked at coming under grace in chapters 1 through 4, living under grace in chapters 5 through 8, and in chapters 9 through 11 we considered the overflow of grace, which can be found in our sermon archives at the GMC website gillespiechurch.org by searching under the sermon categories for Romans. But before the wisdom from God's word today, We'll take a moment in a short time of prayer. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this place. We thank you for open house. We thank you for the lives that are touched and will be changed. We thank you for friendships to be made. And we so thank you that they will come to know you and to love you in their time, in your time. We give thanks for Lee and for all he does and all those who who help him on that team. Father, we just are so blessed. We're so blessed to have buildings where we can meet, buildings where we can show love and your love. Father, we give thanks to that the, the waterfall, as Mike mentioned, from the church has stopped. And in the last rain, it's been dry. Father, we just thank you. We give thanks for Harrison and Duff and the work that they did. And we thank you that they're always there for us. And we just give thanks that our church is now watertight, we hope, and we pray. Father, thank you for all your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The heavens proclaim your glory, O God. Your law is perfect, Lord. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Let's come with our prayers of approach. Let's pray. Before you, O God, we confess our sin. We acknowledge our brokenness and the brokenness of our world, and for which we are truly sorry. We have said and done many things which cause harm to ourselves, to others, and to our world. We have failed to say and do the things which show love to each other and to you. We admit we often fail to live and behave as you command. We exploit and abuse the gifts of your creation and live lives careless of our environment and of the lives of those who share this world with us. Knowing that you are a loving, merciful, and ever-faithful God, we ask your forgiveness and your healing of all that is wrong. Thank you that you will restore us to the fullness of life to serve and love your world. Loving God, we come now to thank you for the precious gift of your world and for the glory of the creation in which it is set. We thank you for sustaining us in life and nurturing each of us every day of our lives as we grow in faith and commitment to the good news of Jesus and in growing awareness of our responsibility to take care of our world and our duty of care in it. We thank you for your word in scripture, in poetry, prophecy, and law, and in the living word who is Jesus Christ, one with who in the beginning through whom whom all things were made. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings us to new life in Christ, leading and inspiring us to bear witness to your goodness, glory, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Following the prayer, I hope your heart has been stilled 
and prepared for God's word today to reach you where you are. If anything you hear in today's word from God and in the sermon challenges you, maybe raising questions, and you want to know more about how we can support you in your faith, or maybe how you might like to support GMC in our ministry for the kingdom, then please contact us through our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. Romans, we continue. We're back on the subject of love this morning. We seem to have been spending a lot of time in love. Uh, We're going to talk about the debt of love and the reasons for love, and you've probably heard a lot about that already. Last Sunday was the first anniversary of the death of my dad. Without going into any details that really aren't pertinent, dad and I had a difficult relationship at times, but I loved him. I didn't love him because we saw eye to eye on many things, because we didn't. I didn't love him because he, with my mother, raised and provided for me, though they did. I didn't love him because once in a while, especially earlier in life, he helped me out. And I certainly didn't love him because of the disagreements we had and the bitter arguments. I loved him because he was my father. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, says in the commandments. In Dad's final weeks last summer, we argued. Nothing new there. And the penultimate time that I saw him, he was difficult. Maybe I was difficult too. It was difficult. And when I left that time, I said to him, Dad, I love you, but sometimes I don't like you. But I love you. Love is a command. Love is a debt we owe. And the motivation to, find, to love others is found when we look up. It's in the up of our lives, looking up to God. We find a debt that cannot be paid. So let's hear, I'm going to split today's reading into just three. I'm going to weave it into the sermon. So let's hear the word of God first in Romans from 13, 8 to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen. Let no debt remain outstanding. That's good, wise, fiscal advice. Pay down the mortgage, any loans, outstanding debts to family, friends, pay them off. Let nothing you owe, even to the tax man, as we heard last week, let nothing be outstanding. I mean, the first practical piece of advice from today's word 
is, I suppose, do people do that today? Because credit is readily available. It's easily built up debt. Paul isn't saying don't borrow, but rather don't borrow imprudently. As Christians, be responsible in borrowing and repaying debt. Sure, there can be unforeseen circumstances. Loss of jobs, illness, amongst other impinges on the ability to pay debt. But the call of Scripture remains to be fiscally wise. We should not be anchored in what I think is sometimes a worldview about enjoying life in the immediacy. I want it, I'm going to borrow to have that enjoyment now. We should instead be anchored in a contrast to that worldview. We should be prudent on focusing on God and the glory of the resources to which he entrusts us, those that we have, and they will be different for different people. But that's about material debt. Do not have debt remain outstanding. But Paul then writes about the debt of love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And that's weird, because a continuing debt is one that's not paid off. It's a perpetual debt. It keeps going on forever. Like a credit card you can't pay off because they keep on adding the interest on. So how does the continuing debt to love fit into the paradox of letting no debt remain outstanding? It's weird. But quite simply, the debt to love cannot be paid off. I mean, to pay off a debt in full means that you no longer have to pay. That's self-evident. When you've made that last payment on your loan or your mortgage, you owe nothing more. The debt's settled. And then if we apply that principle to love, that mean, means as the debt of love was paid, then I'd no need, longer need to love. doesn't make sense. The debt of love can never be paid. The love of Christ is eternal. Love that we give is the love God empties into our hearts through the cross of Christ, through the debt we owe. The love poured into Christians from God is then able to be paid out to others, to love our neighbour. Even though we'll fall short in that love, we will fall short. So despite us being unable to fully pay the debt to love, it says love fulfills the law. So in loving our fellow human, our neighbour, we fulfil the law if not quite able to pay the debt. This command of love, it, it, it just covers so much. It sums up the replacement for the commands of the Mosaic law. I've said elsewhere in this series that the law of Moses has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled by Christ. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, were fulfilled in Jesus. He said himself, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. But we need a qualification around this. 
qualification is needed around love fulfilling. Because some would say that love fulfilling the law is also meaning that love is the end of the law because you no longer need the law. Some would say, on that basis, love has an inbuilt moral compass which allows individuals to discern what is right and loving in every situation. We have an inbuilt moral compass because it's placed there by God. Unless we have a relationship with God, our inbuilt moral compass will go wrong. It will not point in the right direction. John Stott writes, The idea of love knowing the right thing to do in all cases is naive confidence in love's infallibility. It's naive confidence in love's infallibility. You ever thought you really loved somebody when you were younger maybe and then you realise actually it wasn't love? So love and the law need one another. Paul doesn't do away with the commandments totally. God doesn't want simple conformity to the commandments because, let's face it, we know the Jews in all of their commandments and all of their laws, all 600 and whatever of them, could not keep them. God doesn't want simple conformity. He wants rather sincere love. And so love needs the law for its direction, but the law must have love for its inspiration. They need each other. And so as Christians... If you're a Christian, you need to be inspired by Holy Spirit, renewed in your mind. And for that, we need the commandments as God reminders of his absolute demands and his unending. Come on in, grab a seat. So yeah, to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, renewed in your mind, you need the commands to, as God's reminders of his absolute demands and his unending truth. And the demand for, not for, of love, doesn't absolve any Christian for obeying the commands God gives in the truth of his word. So in other words, we're just not looking in ourselves here. We need to be going to Scripture to check and make sure our love direction is right. So the next verse, 11 and 12, or the beginning of 12, is about it's time to love. So let's hear the Word of God again. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So if those first few verses were about looking upward to God for motivation, these are about looking forward. We love because we are saved. Though we also know that salvation is only partial, it's yet to be fully realized. Our rescue is near, and in that knowledge we desire to see others come into that partial saving right now. Christians live in the present, 
We live under grace now, but we know that the fullness of God's grace is yet to come in another time. And that also the old life, the old life under sin and law is one that is passing away. We're in this movement of time, movement from law and sin towards the fullness of grace, and we're in the middle. It's this doctrine of the now, but not now, the reality of life. We live in the kingdom come, but yet to come, knowing the Lord Jesus who was, is, and is to come. But so many people in the world, most people in the world maybe, live in the present age as if they're living in the age before Christ. They don't live with the knowledge that the kingdom has broken in. Broken in through Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Most people still live as if they're living in the night time. Paul speaks about the night is nearly over. The hour has come, wake up from your slumber. Most people are living as if it's night time. And what does that mean? Well, it means living in darkness. It's living with your eyes wide shut, not knowing the light of Christ. Now I know Christ, I really find it hard to fathom that when presented with Christ, people reject him. I know I'm a minister, I know that relationship with Jesus, I know so many of you do, and I I just find it hard to fathom, that rejection. Though perhaps, maybe it's not Jesus they're rejecting, maybe it's the church, and the way the church presents Jesus. Maybe it's a failing that the church has presented a watered-down Jesus. You know, when he's presented as just a good and kind teacher. There's plenty of good and kind teachers out there. What makes Jesus so special? You know, the unique, different, awe-inspiring, life-transforming that Jesus can be? Are we presenting that as church? Or are we presenting church as as a wee club? bit like the bowling club or the rugby club or whatever. We just do things that are a bit weird. Or maybe it's the other extreme. Maybe the church in presenting Christ comes across as too hard and judgmental. And in that sense, church becomes a closed, holy, pious huddle. Unwelcoming. Not loving. Not grace-filled. If we're going to reach people and touch people's hearts, we need to be authentic in who Christ is and in calling people to Christ. And so, yeah, we do need to call out their slumber, their nighttime living. For living in the daylight of Jesus is possible for only those who believe. And I believe, we we heard Pauline earlier pray about, or finding it hard to pray for, all that goes on in our world. But I believe with all my heart what society needs is Jesus because broken people are everywhere in all forms of life, in the media, in councils, in governments. Yet this is so often where people look for their fix. I've got this issue in my life. It's the government need to fix it. Or maybe I can fix it. I'll go and look in a self-help book. The 
these places don't have all the answers. Life in Christ is the answer. It isn't easy, but it is the answer. And for believers, living in the light is expected of you. Wake up from your slumber, Paul says. Be ready for salvation is near. It is present and yet to come. Wake up and be a shaker and waker of others. Today's passage concludes as we move to the implications of this doctrine that salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's quite an obvious statement, isn't it? I became a believer at an Alpha course back in 2000. Salvation is nearer now than it was back then, 21 years ago. And so the final part of this morning's reading, it comes from Romans 13, the second half of 12, 12b through to 14. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I wonder, as you've been listening this morning, you know, as you wear masks, it's so hard for me to discern what people, how how things are going down because I can't see facial expressions. Maybe you're glad of that. But I wonder, as you've been listening to this morning and maybe previous week's sermons, I wonder, do you understand the times in which we live as Christians? Do you get up each day, each week, and see and recognize what is God doing now in your life, in the church, in the community, and in the world? It's not always easy to discern, especially when we're caught up in our own lives. But as Christians, we are called to try and discern that, how understand how God is moving in the Spirit here and now, because he is, but also with a, a half an eye, aware of what he plans to do. Because as Christians, we are assured, we have assurance in the knowledge he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and that his kingdom will have no end. And so, the question is that, do you live today as if that future is a reality? It's all well and good to live now, knowing the love of Christ. God, God loves me through Christ. But to truly live in Christ is to know the future coming of Christ, have assurance, and then live accordingly. Paul said, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, if you live as if Christ is in you, is to put aside the passions and darker works of the night. What's that mean? Well, research suggests there is not a huge disparity between the amounts of crime during the day and the night. You might be surprised at that. Crime statistics in the UK and in the US, uh, I I looked at some this week, there is not a huge disparity about the amount of crime during the daylight hours and at night. But what is clear is that violent crime is absolutely more likely to place at night. Robbery, drunk driving, sexual assault, rape and murder. 
nighttime. It seems that passions and what we consider the worst sides of human living are indulged in darkness. So the implications of the doctrine of coming salvation is that Christians will get up and start behaving morally, as in daytime living, rather than immorally as nighttime dwellers. And that's another problem with church, I think, through decades, is that the church has retreated from moral teaching because the moral compass of society has changed. And let's face it, surely all that stuff isn't, uh, that's so attractive isn't so bad, is it? After all, Jesus loves me and forgives me, so it's all good, right? But know this, Jesus isn't some get-out-of-jail-free card. It is. Get out of jail. Be saved. But we know what's happened so, with so many people who come out of prison. They go and reoffend and go straight back in. It's about getting out of jail and staying out. It's about living right. Not living self-centered lives, seeking self-indulgence and illicit pleasures. It's about the appropriate clothing of oneself and putting on the armor of light. So who of you gets up every day and asks God for his protection? Who reads the word of God to feed their hearts and souls? Who starts and ends the day in prayer? First asking for the Lord's guiding for your day and closing the day with thanks for it. To clothe ourselves correctly is to layer upon ourselves the protection of God that enables us then to say no to carousing and drunkenness. Forget wild parties, forget excessive drinking, the debauchery that can come with it. You just have to look at the demands on the police, ambulance and hospital services every Friday and Saturday night to see that they're stretched to breaking point because of alcohol and drug-fueled problems. I know because I used to own and run a nightclub. Trust me, I've seen it. Been there, seen it, done it, got the t-shirt. Latterly, it made me ill. I suffered from stress and anxiety. Living and working that environment made me ill. That behavior doesn't honor Christ. It's no to sexual immorality and debauchery. So forget one-night stands, forget adultery, forget pornography, forget same-sex sex and any and all unrestrained sexual conduct. This behavior and life also doesn't honor Christ. And then Paul talks about dissension and jealousy. I mean, the other things are actions, things that are done. And so this saying no to dissension and jealousy seems almost slightly out of place with the other no's. But do you know dissension and jealousy go to the heart of breakdown of relationships? Dissension and jealousy spoil unity in marriages, in families, and yes, in the church. And so instead of that kind of living, Christians are called to clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does all this mean practically? 
Well, first we have that unpayable debt to love all those that God sets before us. The call to love neighbor, when it says, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, isn't a call to us individually to love every single person on earth because we're never going to come into contact with every single person on earth. Love your neighbor is to love those God places before you. And we do this because love sums up what God wants us to do. How do we know we are to love? Because in Christ, by Christ, and his dying and undying love, we are rescued and saved and await salvation to come. So live today as if living now in the light of Christ. And so there's a a question to sum up, really. The closing question is to ask of you, who am I? How do I live? Now, if the answer to the first question is, who am I? Is a Christian. You could say, whose am I? I'm Christ's. I'm Jesus's. If your answer to that question is then answered in the second, how do I live, and the two don't align up, you might need to check yourself. Paul addressed this back in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. You've died to Christ. You're free. And then on to 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I guess the question is, as a church, are we prepared to accept this? Are we prepared to teach it to new Christians? Are we prepared to teach it, and not just teach it, but live it out before our children and our grandchildren? Yes, You have freedom. You have freedom in Christ. But when you accept Christ in your life, you also have responsibilities in Christ. If you place the emphasis on just the freedom, you will end up abusing the responsibility Jesus places upon your life. We're faced with choices how to live every day. How much to drink, how much to party, how to live sexually, what to consume through our TVs, our computers, through social media. Worry about what your children and grandchildren are watching. Conversation I and Lee have about pornography. Read the papers and see how many of our young people are being, having their brains changed by it. We are faced with choices of how to live our lives and how to mirror them into our children and grandchildren's lives. Perhaps the question that should be asked is not, can I do this? But rather, should I do this? Everything placed before us we can do, but should we? And maybe that's a lesson we could start with our children and maybe ourselves. A grey-shaped church is a church that shares the good news of Jesus, the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the freedom found in Christ, 
but equally it must share the responsibilities in Christ. Freedom and responsibility. Who am I? A Christian. How do I live? As Christ. If we don't have Jesus connecting those two together, we will go off the rails. If we may say we are in Jesus, but our lived life doesn't reflect that, then is Jesus really holding together who you are and how you live? Amen. Thanks for listening to the GMC podcast from Gillespie Memorial Church in Scotland. For more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, visit our website, gillespiechurch.org and also search for us on YouTube and Facebook. All inquiries can be made through the contact us page of our website or by calling the office. This has been a production of the GMC team, including our pastors and tech team. All copyright remains with the contributors and producers of this podcast. Thanks for listening and God bless.